Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. All right. I apologize for my voice. I woke up with a head cold this morning and, um, well, this is what you get. Okay. So, uh, what, before, before we dive in, I want to, I have a couple of announcements that I want to make sure that you guys all know about, uh, uh, because, uh, well, they're important to me. First is this Saturday night, we, um, and we meaning the, the middle school ministry at Quest, we're going to be taking over the entire church. So if you are the parent of a middle schooler, make sure that they are here at 7 p.m. We're going to run from 7 until 10 p.m. And, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. We always have a great time. So I encourage them to come. This is, this is an event. It's free. Uh, there's, um, this is a, great opportunity for for your child to bring their friends who maybe are unfamiliar with church is a great place to meet uh, other Christians or new Christians and and become familiar with our church so we encourage anyone who's interested middle schoolers only sorry some of you adults that want to come play body body in the sanctuary you can't um, this is just for middle schoolers but please um, uh, have them here Saturday night at seven o'clock I also want to take a moment this morning to pray for our mission team that left um, this Friday. They they drove up to Detroit, flew out of, of Detroit to Belize, and uh, we had a, a couple of our folks um, who went down there. And so I just want to pray for them this morning as they're doing their kingdom work down in, in uh, Belize. And so if you'll bow with me, let's pray for them. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you give us opportunities to expand your kingdom to new places. Places near, places far. We, we pray especially now for the folks who have gone to Belize to share your word, to bring the gospel to, um, to those folks down there. We pray that you would, uh, bring our team favor, that you would allow them to, to spread the good news to people who are, who are welcome to it, who want to hear it, who need it, Lord. We pray for life transformation. We pray for your blessing over that trip. We also pray for safety for everyone there, Lord Jesus. We thank you for those folks who've volunteered their time, their money, in order to go and do your kingdom work. Anoint them, bless them, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, today we're going to talk about one of the bedrocks of atheism, Ah, you didn't think I was going to say that, did you? Um, no, that's true. We're, we're going we're gonna to start off uh, a little bit pointed today, and, and, um, and we're going to talk about this, the, this argument against the existence of God that is highly emotional, influential, and quite frankly, effective. However, most people who hear this argument against God Oftentimes, they are not considering the authentic, experiential challenges that are a real threat to this position. We're talking about injustice today. Specifically, we're talking about the fact that because evil is rampant in our world, there seems to be no justice for those people who've had evil enacted upon them. And, and this, this argument typically follows this pattern. If, if God was good, then God would, okay? If God could, 
then God would. So if God was good, then God would do something to get rid of the evil that we experience in our world. Or if God was all-powerful, then he could get rid of all of the evil, and he would, right? So a person who's wrestling with this might come to the conclusion that because God is not dealing with the evil in their lives, he is either A, not good, or B, he's not all-powerful, or C, and probably the worst conclusion that one could draw, God doesn't exist, okay? And, and, and this thinking, this, this line of thinking is incredibly influential because it plays on the emotions of an individual who's experienced significant trauma and hurt, okay? If a person's been affected by evil, what do they want? They want restoration. They want retaliation. And when they feel powerless because they're not experiencing restoration or retaliation, it seems like God may not be intervening for them. And then there could be this natural conclusion that God doesn't care about their situation, that, that he's not good, that he doesn't have the power to fight evil in a way that's effective, and sometimes that he doesn't exist. Okay, so I understand some of these conclusions, um, but here are a couple of problems with this line of thinking. Uh, just, just a minute ago, we prayed for our team that went to Belize, right? And, and I think they're a perfect example of why this line of thinking, if, if God was good, then he would, or if God could, then he would. Um, therefore, since he's not doing it, he doesn't exist. This is, this is a great way for us to think about this. The people in Belize, um, for someone like that, this process of thought is rare. This line of thinking uh, is, is limited to by and large, those folks who are uh, from Western Europe, North America, okay? In well-developed, first-world countries, this idea that God doesn't exist because of the problem of evil in our world is, is a common conclusion. But in other areas of the world, not third world, or not first world, but maybe third world, say Central or South America, Maybe in um, Eastern Europe or Africa, possibly in Michigan, or <laughs> they laughed. All right, I'm going to check that out. No, but for real, uh, in, in, in less developed areas of the world, when posed with the problem of evil, the overwhelming majority of people do not draw this same conclusion that God does not exist. In fact, what happens is evil tends to reinforce their need for God. If you look at the continent of Africa, for example, um, a continent with widespread pain and suffering, right? AIDS, famine, drought, genocide, etc. The people there, by and large, they don't look up to the sky and say, God, you obviously don't exist because of all the stuff that we're experiencing. Instead, they tend to draw closer to God. They say, I need you here in the midst of my pain. I'm going to quote uh, Psalm 22. This is not specific to Africa, but it's a great example of what I'm trying to say. Psalm 22 says this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. 
David then says, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. See, this is what the vast majority of the world does when they experience pain. Now, I'm not saying that the vast majority of the world necessarily believes in David's God or the Christian God or anything like that. But whenever they have suffering in their lives, they tend to run to and cry out to God. See, in our first world, we say because pain, you know, there is no God. Now, there's something else that I think is really important about this line of thinking that I want to bring up. And uh, it's this, is that I think a person who uses that argument, who says, because there's pain and suffering in the world, it proves that God does not exist. And I would say to that person, no, you can't use my pain to prove that God doesn't exist. Because your child, they some might say, because your child died of cancer, that proves God doesn't exist. Or, or because you were raped when you were younger. Or because that hurricane destroyed your livelihood. Or because that drunk driver killed your parents. Because whatever catastrophe happened to you, whether it be natural or brought about my man, because of that, this is proof that there's no God. But let me tell you why I don't think this is true. You see, my tragedy, my experience may not cause me to draw the same conclusion as someone else. And so it's not fair. It's not fair to say, hey, your pain proves there's no God. No, my pain draws me closer to God. And effectively, what you do when you say that my tragedy proves there's no God, effectively what you're doing is you're calling me an idiot for believing in God in the midst of my suffering. You can say, and I would say this to someone else, you can say all day long, all day long, after this terrible thing that happened to me, I choose to believe that there is no God. And I'm going to tell you right now that because of empathy, because of some amount of emotion that I have inside of me, I can sit with a person who says that in the midst of their belief, understand why they may have come to that conclusion. I may not agree with it, but I can understand it and I will grieve with them in the midst of their pain. But for a person to say all of the evil in the world is evidence that there's no God, for that to even carry any amount of weight, then that person would have to go out and interview every person who's ever experienced pain and suffering and find out what they believe about God because of their experience. Because the vast majority of the world, the vast majority of the world doesn't draw the same conclusion as North Americans. Here's the thing. 
An atheist will tell you that the problem of evil is the best reason for someone to not believe in the existence of God. And they will tell you that they can prove it based on the facts. But the truth is, it's really just an emotional argument brought about by the distraught that comes from the dark places that we experience in our lives. It simply is not a rational argument. And ultimately, this leads us to uh, the bulk of what we're going to talk about today. This idea that evil proves there is no God is not a rational thought. Okay, we, we need to really consider what we believe about this notion. So let's begin with this idea of, of saying that God is good. And because there's so much bad in the world, obviously a good God will get rid of the bad. Well, this idea begins with a presupposition about the character of God that, that we have to first consider. Please follow me through with this line of thinking before you start hurling stones or insults. I mean, don't judge me yet. Let me finish what I'm saying, okay? Because I'm going to say some things that might challenge you, and it's not necessarily meant to challenge you. It's meant to make you think all the way through it. So just stay with me. The presupposition, though, is this, that God is good. Well, I want to ask you a question. Who told you that God is good? Who was it that told you that first? See, for me, I first heard that God was good. It was before I could even read. I was young. I was, I was singing songs about God's goodness when I was in preschool. Um, I, I, I even prayed prayers about the goodness of God, right? God is good. God is great. Let us, I said that wrong. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. It doesn't even work. Like, I don't, I don't understand. Why did, why was that the rhyme that they used? I don't know. But um, anyway, like, so, so we have to think about where we first heard this. Who told us that God is good? Because what if it's not true? What if the person who told us that doesn't really have the facts in order? What if they really don't know about this characteristic of God? Now, stay with me. Please stay with me. Huh? Okay, hold on. Whew. Okay. I, I saw some of those glances like, what is he saying? Whew. I kind of wish sometimes that like, if you agree with me, you would move a little bit closer up. And if you disagree with me, you'd move a little closer or further away. So I'd know where we stand together. Um, that's okay, though. If, you don't need to do that. Feel free, though, to do that. Um, okay, so... Uh, so here, here's the problem with this, this way of thinking. So someone tells you God is good, um, and so therefore what your experience says that maybe God is not good, and so then you, you say, well, God doesn't exist. Well, if, if you were to, to take, get rid of that argument for a second and put it on a completely different situation, different content, different context, everything, you, you would never allow this line of thinking to, to happen. You can't, for instance, you can't make something up about me that isn't true, and then hold me to it, right? You, you can't, you can't hold me accountable to it. You, you can't say, and, 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 and then, and then you can't, and this is worse, for someone to say that I don't exist because I'm not living up to the expectations that you have of me, that doesn't work. For instance, this happened to me. I, this is a true story. I'm not going to tell you all of it. But um, just a few weeks ago, I was, I was in a meeting and, and someone, someone, uh, looked at me and accused me of not living up to an expectation that they had of me, which I could never have, right? The conversation went like this. You're not good at doing what you're doing. You're not good enough for this moment. And so the next time we have a conversation like this, we need to bring in a professional. And I, 
I'll be honest, it hurt a little bit. I hid my sadness, my sorrow, my pain. But um, uh, I looked though at that person in the face and I said, I never once claimed that I could do what you are saying that I can do. I've, I've never been trained in that capacity and I, and I would never act like I was. That you have an unfair expectation of me and, and, and you can't hold me responsible for not living up to that expectation. Am I right? Isn't that true? Have any of you ever experienced something like this? Anyone? Just me? I, I mean, I, I, I experience it a lot. I think it's because people don't really know what like youth pastors are experts at. I mean, come on, video games, duh. That's the expectation you have of me, period. I'm just kidding. I paid a lot of money to train my thumbs. Um, anyway, I, I, how many of you have ever been roped into coaching a team for like a kid, right? And you had no idea what you were doing? It, like, and then, and then the parents get upset with you because you're not coaching their kids the right way. Has anyone ever felt, ever experienced that? And you're like, uh, okay, good. It's not just me. I'm not the only one who doesn't understand t-ball. <laughs> like, you throw the ball at them and then they hit it. Why is it on this stick? I don't get it. I'm just kidding. But, I mean, that's the same thing. That, that really is the same thing. Because, because you know, like, you, there's this expectation that people put on you, and then when you don't live up to it, I mean, that's just not fair. Or what about this? And this follows a little bit more the, the logic of the, because evil exists in the world, therefore God doesn't exist. What if one day you, as a, a really wonderful child worker here in our church, thank you volunteers of our children's ministry, you do a wonderful job. If you're not volunteering in the children's ministry, please sign up. Um, because we have a great ministry that needs your help. But what if one of, one of the days you're, you're volunteering in the church um, with the kids and my children come up to you, little Lofton, little Lillian, they walk up and they're like, my dad's not good. He's not a good dad. You know, he's mean to me. He yells at me. You might, you might, as a child worker, um, like come draw the conclusion that I am a bad parent. It's possible that you, you might, you might draw that conclusion. You might, you might say, well, he probably lacks patience. He, he doesn't spend enough time with his kids, whatever. And, and those things might be true. But I promise you, you would not come to the conclusion that I do not exist. Right? Lofton comes up to you, my daddy is so mean. Well, geez, Jeremy doesn't even exist. <laughs> and it, it doesn't even, it's, it's illogical. I mean, ah. Right? Think about that for a minute. So evil exists. If God were good, then he would do something about it. And if he were all powerful, he could do something about it. But evil is still so pervasive. So therefore, God must not exist. What? What? It doesn't track. This is not a logical line of thinking. The logical line of thinking, and I, I don't love this, I don't agree with it, but the logical line of thinking is is that um, if, if, if evil still exists, then maybe God is not good. Or if evil still exists, then, then maybe God is not all powerful. I don't agree with those statements, but I have more respect for a person who comes to that conclusion. But to say that God doesn't exist because of evil, it's, it's confusing. It's illogical. So this brings us to the place where we really 
think about this argument. We start to get some traction. So, who was it first that said that God is good? Was this something that was made up by man? Does anybody know? Jesus is the first person to ever really say this. This idea that God is good, that God is love, that God is merciful. And I'm going to add one more thing into this because I think it's really important for everyone who's dealing with evil. This is what they want. That God is just. All of these ideas originated with Jesus. So doesn't it make sense then... Doesn't it make sense then that we should listen to all of what Jesus had to say about God before we draw conclusions and make expectations? Here, let me give you an example. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Jesus is the originator of this thinking. Anyone who says God is good or God is love, all of that stuff, all they're doing is they're, they're paraphrasing what Jesus has already said about God. And this is important. This is important because we need to understand who originated this line of thinking so that we can understand all of what he said about it, right? For instance, Jesus While he said that God was love, he never once said that life would or could be lived without suffering. Think about that. God is good, but life is hard. There will be pain. There will be suffering. So do you see the problem here with this argument about evil in this world? Right? Is it making sense? There has never been a legitimate Christian argument that ever suggested that because God is love that there won't be suffering in our world. In fact, the very opposite is true. Because of me, Jesus says, many will persecute you. John 15, 18 and 19. Jesus says this, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, then the world would love you as its own. Jesus says these words as he's preaching to his disciples about the persecution that they are certain to face on behalf of Jesus. By the way, just because he was talking to his disciples in this moment doesn't mean that he wasn't also including us in this. If we are a disciple of Jesus, if we are a follower of Jesus, we will experience pain and suffering and persecution. The end. Chapter 16 of John, Jesus continues on to say, I have said these things, and this is so important for us to understand. I have said these things to keep you from falling away. You see, this is the issue with the problem of evil argument. It causes people to fall away from God. Because they're in a fragile emotional state, because they're dealing with difficulty and hardship, it's easy for them to, to make, to draw a conclusion about God that may not be true. It makes people think illogically about God and not consider the very words that God spoke to us before He left the planet after suffering torture and execution. See, no one on this planet was ever told 
that being a follower of God would be easy. No one was ever told that they would not suffer. No one was ever told that life would be comfortable because of God. Never was that said in Scripture. Boy, this is a happy message, isn't it? (laughs) Oh, Jeremy, I'm so glad he came to talk to us this morning. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, the plan of the enemy, Satan, he wants us to believe something about God that is not true so that we will curse him and fall away. So that we will, we will, we will continue living our life without God in it. And from the very beginning of time, God has been aware of the enemy's plan. And he has been warning us of this very thing. What do you mean, Jeremy, you might ask? Well, what's, what's the oldest book in the Bible? Who knows? Anybody? I heard it. I heard it. Someone said it. Job. There it is, right? Who knows what happened in Job? What advice, more specifically, was given to Job after he experienced catastrophic suffering in his life? Lost his entire family, lost his entire estate, lost everything that he had, all of his wealth and everything. Physical safety, all ripped away from him. What was the advice that was given to him? Anybody know? Curse God and die. His wife said... Just kidding. This is, this is being live streamed. I can't, I can't get away with saying stuff and not, and not going out anymore. I'm just joking. There was, I didn't mean to. <laughs> Curse God and die was the advice that was given to him. Evil, suffering and pain, whether it's natural or brought about by man has always been here. What people want is retribution for the suffering. And, and here's, this is kind of the irony of this argument that that the problem of evil brings about see people want evil to be gone and they want they want justice for what have, have they have experienced but here's the thing god is the only one who brings us justice for any evil that we experience in our life and there will be justice every man every woman every child will sit in front of jesus and be judged we're told this and this is critical for us to understand why, why Christianity even exists to this day. See, this is a reason why a follower of Jesus would hold on to something so tightly in their faith. Because they know something to be so true. See, God is love and he offers his love to us if we would just believe. But, but we have to wait for his return. He's going to come back. Why would anyone believe that he's going to come back? And I want, I want to read this to you. This is from first John chapter four. I'm going to read verse seven and, uh, then skip over to 17 and 18. John uh, writes this in his letter, beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also As he is, so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So why would anyone believe this? God is love, and God will return to judge? Believe unto death, as the disciples did? The problem of evil argument would suggest that Christianity is incredibly fragile. But I say, forget about it. That's not even true. 
The problem of evil argument, those atheists who say God doesn't exist because of all this, they say, well, if, if just one tenet of this thing, if God is good and if God is love, and, but evil exists, if one thing is off, then God doesn't exist. Yes, I mock them. Christianity survived. It survived excruciating persecution. When the disciples of Jesus lived, anyone who made claims like this, that God is love and God offers love to you and you have value, those kinds of things were radical thoughts in that day and age. Or or do you believe, maybe, um, that this was just part of the Galilean way, like, oh man, God is love, let us love one another. Right, dude, that's what we should do. No. This was incredibly counter-cultural way of thinking. To say that God is love, that humanity, each of us, have dignity, have value. That kind of thinking, those kinds of things would kill you. People get murdered because of it. If, if it was on someone to risk death over a belief, then you had better be sure that they believed it wholeheartedly. The disciples died to share their faith. The disciples died to love people that were not like them. This whole concept of God is love and that we should care for others because God is love. And I want to, I want to, I'm going to extend this a little bit. Care for others, even those who are not like us, who are less than us, who have no value in society. They do have value in the eyes of God. This type of thinking was completely unheard of in the culture of Jesus' day and the apostles in the, the first century world. See, wealth and politics, they ruled the day. If you had money, you had power. If you didn't have it, you were nothing. And forget it if, if you were a woman. Forget it if you were a child. Forget it if you were handicapped. You, you had nothing. But then Jesus comes. And he says, The lowest of the low have dignity. Even the diseased have dignity. They have worth. And I will risk my life to make sure that they know that they are loved. See, this is where we first get an understanding of godly justice. Please don't miss this. Jesus. That's God. The creator of the universe is the one who's saying this. Because this is important. Because the other gods, those lower G gods, the ones that really don't exist, the ones that were made up in the other nations and, and other countries, that were, that were living around where Jesus was. All of those gods were about power. They were about authority. They were about control. They were about manipulation. They certainly were not about love. They didn't care about people. And likewise, people didn't care about people, right? And, and here's what I'm saying. Man-made gods will reflect mankind every single time, right? When we make a god, he looks like us. That God will be dark, that God will be broken, that God will be evil, but a creator God with power to form mankind out of nothing. That God will change a broken creature into a loving and caring creature. 
This is what happened. From out of darkness, from out of the man-made government, from out of that, that horrible society and culture comes this movement of people, Jesus followers, who are primarily about love because God is love. And God loved them. And they in turn went out and they loved other people. And so Jesus comes and he teaches an entirely new understanding of God. A God of love. And, and if you grew up thinking, yeah, God is love. God is love. Of course it is. Or maybe, maybe you weren't a Christian growing up, but you just always had that notion in your head, well, God is supposed to be loving. Let me tell you, you're just living out the, the teachings of Jesus. This is a new way of thinking for all of the people that were living among, uh, uh, among Jesus at the time. And this radical way of thinking got him executed. See, people want to get rid of a God because they think that God is supposed to act a certain way or do certain things. And when he does what Jesus did, they can't handle it and they try and kill him. It's because we have this brokenness inside of us, this part of us that no longer really reflects the image of God. And when God comes into our lives, we get uncomfortable and we want to destroy him, right? We're afraid of God. But when we kill God, and I don't think we can actually kill God. That's not what I'm saying. But when we, when we try to remove his existence from our lives, ultimately all we do is we lose the justice that he promises us. Without God... What do we have left? Without God, what do we have left? That's a good question. Nature? Do you think nature is just? Does anyone believe that nature is a just system? Anyone? No, it's not. Stephen Hawking. Genius, right? Um, he, he has this, this great quote. He's a theoretical cosmologist. Um, he has an interesting quote about this in, in a lecture in the 90s at Cambridge University. He says this, The terror that stalks my mind is that we have arrived on the scene because of evolution, because of naturalistic selection. And natural selection assumes natural rejection, which means we have arrived here because of our aggression. Then he goes on to say that he hopes that we can survive at least another hundred years until science can find a way for us to jettison off of this planet and, and live on another planet and survive so that we can be as far away from each other as possible so that we don't destroy one another. Stephen Hawking wasn't afraid of, of nuclear war. He was afraid of people just killing each other. See, nature is not a system of justice. Justice comes because of God. And if you're struggling with any problem of evil that's in your life, the best place to turn, quite frankly, the only place to turn is to Jesus because he is the only one that offers us refuge and justice from that evil. Does it mean that we won't ever experience pain or suffering? Does it mean uh, that that uh, that that won't ever be a part of our life? No. One way or another, we're all going to suffer. We're going to experience some of that stuff. That that's not going to end until we are done with this life. But God gives us a new hope, a hope for eternal life. Eternal life where there is no suffering. Jesus was trying to explain this exact thought to a group of people. Some were his disciples. 
And they, they just weren't really getting it, okay? And, and it wasn't making sense for them. And so he told them this story just to try and make it sink in. We have this account um, in Luke 18. If you want to turn there, you can. I'm going to paraphrase it a little bit. Um, it goes like this. So there was this woman. She was a widow, and she was incredibly persistent. Someone had done something to her that caused her incredible amount of suffering, incredible amount of pain, and she wanted justice for it. And so she would go to this judge, the judge that ruled in, in the town where she lived, She would go to this judge every single day to where he worked, to where he ate, to where he lived, to where he, you know, caught the train so that he could go to work. It didn't matter where he was. She was there saying, can you give me justice? Will you give me justice? Now, this judge, he wasn't an exceptional man. He wasn't a nice man. He he wasn't a respectable man. He certainly didn't respect God. But then he says this. He says, Though I neither fear nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. The thing about this story is, while it was just told to make a point, it wasn't a true story. Every person who was listening to Jesus as he's teaching this understood what was going on because there was so much injustice in the world. They understood why this widow would be so persistent, and they understood why the judge would grant her this justice. Jesus then goes on to say, he looks at his disciples and he says, Hear what this unrighteous judge says. Even this unrighteous person will give justice. So then will God not also give justice to his followers? Your justice is coming. And then Jesus says, nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, I want to explain something real quick to this because... When the disciples were listening to, to Jesus say this, and he said, when the Son of Man comes, they're looking at him going, what? Like, you're talking about yourself. That's one of your titles. You are the Son of Man. You're right here in front of us. What do you mean when he comes? What Jesus was saying is, there will be a day when I return. He wasn't referring to this first coming that they were experiencing. He was indicating the second return. When, when he returns, he will, he, he will be looking for those who are faithful, who still follow Jesus. See, Christianity, and here's what I was getting to earlier, has survived so long because people took Jesus at his word when he said, justice is coming. Justice will come to those who are faithful. Justice will come to those who endure. And let me tell you, a man or woman can endure persecution. A man or woman can endure evil. A man or a woman can endure suffering, particularly one that knows that Jesus has already defeated death through his resurrection, right? See, Jesus calls Christians to the same kind of suffering that he underwent. Please don't think that what he endured was something that only he has to endure. Across our globe, people endure persecution and death because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And they don't assume that since they are experiencing sadness, sorrow, or suffering, that Jesus must not exist. They realize that their suffering makes them more like Jesus. We live in a wonderful place. We do. 
And we should praise God even more that we don't have to experience the same kind of persecution that other people around the globe have to experience. But if we want justice for evil, for suffering, then the only place that we can really turn to, the only place that we can really turn to is Jesus. If we turn away from him, if we choose not to have faith in him, then we don't get justice. Evil and injustice are not arguments against God. If anything, they should drive us closer to him. Because it was only God that said that we have dignity, that we have worth, that we have value, that he loves us, and that he will bring justice when he returns. But thankfully, when he returns, he also brings to us mercy, right? See, each of us are going to sit before Christ in judgment when he returns. But he says, when I look around the earth and I see those people who've been faithful, I'm going to offer them mercy. See, we trust that because Jesus was resurrected back to life after three days of being in the tomb, we trust that, that he gave us the Holy Spirit to guide us and to transform us into his likeness. And we trust, and I think this is probably the most important for us, that, that when he surrendered his life on the cross, he did so because he was taking all of our sins upon him and he was being judged on our behalf so that when we sit before Jesus in that judgment moment, he can look at us and say, you're already justified. You're good. You've been forgiven. You are without sin. My justice for you is eternal life with no pain or suffering. Evil is vanquished today. And the God of love reigns supreme. Today, we're going to celebrate communion. And uh, I love that that we're celebrating this today as we're talking uh, about this whole thing. Because it's an opportunity for us to remember the, the life and death that, that Jesus gave for us. We remember the injustice that he faced on behalf of, of us Christians so that we don't have to experience eternal judgment or damnation. We look at the bread that's covered up right now, and we remember how Jesus' body was broken, how he was unjustly tortured, an innocent man, and, and then we look at the, the red wine or the grape juice. This is all grape juice, by the way. And, and we remember how his blood was spilled out so that we wouldn't have to spill our blood. Jesus died on a cross for our sins. He didn't have to, but it was his choice to suffer on our behalf. Now, as we remember his loving sacrifice we should also remember that we too are to love one another in the same way that he loved us, that we need to love our enemies, that we need to love the broken among us, that we need to love the dirty and the addicted, the people that we don't want to be around, that we need to love the widows and the poor, the mean people and the angry people. Yeah, some of you are saying, please love me. I'm mean and angry. I'm just kidding. Jesus is saying that we've got to love those people that are different than us. We have to love the homosexual. We have to love the Republican. We have to love the Democrat, right? We have to love the black and the white and the brown. We have to love everybody that's out there. We have to love the Nazi. We have to love the BLM. We have to love the Antifa member. Yes, I said it. It's true. We have to love the thief, Because while they are broken, so are we. 
while they may not live the way that we want them to live, that's okay. God loves them and they need to understand God's love. And one of the only ways that they're going to understand it is through us Christians and how we love them because Jesus loves them. He loved them even unto death. He loves us even unto death. And today as we close with communion, I want us to remember what Jesus did for us and also what he does for every man, woman, and child that walks out there to say to them, you have value, you have dignity, you are loved. So I'm going to close today with this scripture. 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation. The substitute for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. And if we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. Amen. I want to invite you to come for communion as we sing this final word of worship. Here at Quest, we receive communion uh, through intention, which means we take a piece of bread. That's the body of Christ. And we dip it into the cup. That's the blood of, of Christ. And we receive it that way. There is a gluten-free option. So we invite you to come. So please stand, worship with us as we remember what Christ has done for us so we too should go and do for others. Thank you, church. Now we're going to release from here today. So if you'll, you'll bow with me. Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, that you came to us, that you trust us with the ministry that, that you have of going out into the world and demonstrating your love to us. Thank you that that we have experienced your love. May we also be moved to go and share that with everyone around us. Lord, we pray uh, that the offering that we receive today would be blessed. We thank you that you provide for us in so many ways, not just as a church, but as individuals. We trust the things that you are calling us to do might be done with these resources. So we ask for your blessing, Lord, your anointing on the offering today. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray that we might reflect you as we go out from this place. In the name of Jesus, amen. Church, I want to encourage you that as you experience pain in your life, to not let it cause you to fall away from God, but instead, instead, to let it draw you closer to God. That you might rest on the promises that he's made for you, that you might remember the things that he has done for you, the ways that he's provided for you. And you say, thank you, God. Thank you for your love. And that it might cause you, it might compel you to go from where you are and invite other people into the same love of Jesus Christ.
Thank you, church, for worshiping with us. We look forward to seeing you again. Take care. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at GoToQuest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.